He's a career law enforcement officer, a constable in the United Kingdom. He's an expert in public order, or as we would call crowd control or riot control. And he's here to talk about that and so much more on the Law Enforcement Today Show. Welcome to the Law Enforcement Today radio show. I'm your host. My name's John J. Wiley. In addition to being a radio broadcaster, I'm a retired police sergeant. For the latest news articles and much more, check out our website, letradioshow.com. In the Law Enforcement Today show, we'll be joined by special guests. We'll be talking about their experiences and issues affecting law enforcement officers, first responders, their families, their community, and victims of horrendous crimes. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Our page is Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Check out the daily articles on our website, letradioshow.com. And while you're there, download our free app. Calling us all the way from England, United Kingdom. I'm so blown away by this guest calling us from the other side of the Atlantic. I don't know the right terms. You know, being... An American, I don't know if he's United Kingdom, England, what's the right terms? Uh, joining us on the phone is Neil Pollock. Neil, thanks so much for joining us on Law Enforcement Today Show. Thank you, Jay. And it is, it's the United Kingdom still. Okay, see, this is something across the pond that a lot of us don't know. Uh, and there's a lot of difference. There's a lot of similarities. I've, I've had guests on uh, from Ireland. I've had guests on from Australia. Uh, British Columbia and Canada, they're in law enforcement. And a lot of the terms are interchangeable, but you guys use some different terminology than we do here in the United States. So before we get into the details of what we're going to talk about, you're referred to as constables, is that correct? Yes, yes. Constables is, is the, the, the lowest rank in the police, but it's that, I suspect, the same as it is in America. You can you can be, stay a constable for your entire career. Yeah. And I would full fully say that it's constables that make the whole thing run well that's the way it was here i I retired from the baltimore police department in baltimore maryland i retired the rank of sergeant we had police officers and then we had police officers with a college degree they were called police agents and the next step in rank was sergeant and we had people that did 20 30 years as a police officer and and didn't want to do detectives didn't want to do they loved being in patrol they loved doing the grunt work of police work which is what the constable or the patrolman does that that's who handles almost everything yes yes totally same over here well yeah. so that that has really not changed uh, i'm glad to hear there's a lot of commonalities a lot of uh, similarities in what we do in certain parts of the united states they use the term constable and it's strange because in some places there we have sheriff's departments we have police departments and then we'll have constables and the constables like in parts of texas are elected i don't know that they're that similar. I know they're law enforcement officers, or as we call in the United States, are peace officers. But for lack of getting into conversations about differences, we're going to stick with the commonalities. Before we go into we talk about crowd control, riot control, public order that you specialize in. You are representative of a group that we partner with, GTI, Government Training Institute, and do all kinds of things, law enforcement training, and one of the things they do that is asset trading programs. So if you're an agency that has, like, say, old police cars that you get rid of, uh, but you need to get new guns or new vests, or contact us and we'll hook you up with them. They can make it all happen. They're phenomenal people. Their website is gtitraining.org. Before we get into the public order, which, by the way, I think we call crowd control here, which is one yeah. of your specialties, yeah. let's just talk briefly about your law enforcement career and give people a bird's eye view uh, of your experience from start to finish. I've been very lucky in my career, I, I think, 
in that did 10 years in the military, joined the police, and went to a, a busy part of East London. And after about 18 months, I was able to apply and become what we would call public order trained, so crowd control trained. And every officer in the UK is trained to what, what we call in the UK level three. So a, a basic level so that they can go out and low-risk events, they, they can quite happily deal with it. The average, the, the marches, the ceremonial events, all that sort of stuff, they have an understanding of how it works and where they stand in the overall chain of command. Then you can go off and you can become what's referred to as level two trained. And this is where you get issued protective equipment, your helmet, your overalls, your um, your protective arm guards and leg guards. And you go away and ordinarily it's a four-day training package. Sometimes it's divided into two days, twice a year. And in some forces over here, they just do it in, in a four-day block. Mm-hmm. And you get all that, all the exciting stuff, I think. All the bits and pieces which the, the people throwing bricks at you, the, the petrol bombs, the Molotovs. You make it sound like it's fun. It's it, I, and it is. I mean, I've done it for 20, almost 28 years, and I love it. Well, it's it's an adrenaline rush for sure. I've been in, in a riot before in Baltimore, and you're ducking in things that people are throwing at you, and restraint is a big thing. That you stand your ground, you don't give in, uh, you don't let them get past you, but you don't want to be uh, viewed as an aggressor. And uh, nowadays, the, the optic seems to be even more twisted towards being perceived as being passive but you have to hold your ground and you have to keep them in control and it is a big adrenaline rush it's actually can be uh, for some people who aren't used to it very overwhelming yes yeah totally and i was from the very start of my career i was really really lucky in that the first time i went out on, on an operation the the sergeant we work in teams of, of a sergeant and six constables and then that multiplies up to three, three groups of, of a sergeant and three constables with an inspector in charge. So a group of one, three, and 18. But my first job I went out with, all the, all the other constables and the sergeant I was with all had 10, 12 years' experience. And you just, you just felt safe, really, because although I'd done 10 years in the Army, this was something new, but you knew that the guys either side of you had your back. So you yeah. were, you were, it was really great. I never felt really alone. Uh, we operated, and, and what we did in Baltimore, in a lot of places in the United States, is you'll have people who are trained for SWAT or yeah. quick response team or uh, public order or, or riot control, and but everybody has some basic training. But you ride around in a patrol car by yourself, and then when you get called to an incident, you form up, you meet, you get your gear on, and you have a game plan. And it is reassuring knowing that uh, the man or woman next to you is equally trained and is confident and know what they're doing, and you're not at this by yourself. Is that similar yeah. to what you all do? Oh, definitely, totally. And it is. And when I, we've jumped ahead a bit, but when I became a trainer, that was one of the big things of of giving the the guys and girls who came to training the confidence, both in the equipment they were wearing, but also in their own abilities the abilities of the commanders working above them to, to make the right decisions. And we've seen video, and quite often, uh, I'm sure it happens over there as well as here, but when you have 
in America, protest is, is, is a right in, in our Constitution. It's when they get out of hand and turns into riot and gets beyond what they're allowed to do. It's always heavily covered by the media. It's always filmed. And you always seem to have people antagonizing, trying to create a situation where you have a law enforcement officer losing his cool and going after someone. Is that the same with you guys? Yes. Yeah, exactly the same. It's the, as I always used to say to to, to our young recruits, you you never see on YouTube a, a police officer helping a little old lady across the road. You'll always see a police officer allegedly punching a demonstrator or hitting them with a baton. Yeah, and it's um, quite often it's a trap. They're trying to get you, get your goat, as they say, and get you to react and do something out of line. It's almost reassuring to know that our, our brothers and sisters in blue on the other side of the pond, as they say, are going through the same things that American law enforcement officers are with the video, the media, YouTube, all that stuff. Uh, we were talking with Neil Pollock, and he's calling us from England, or United Kingdom, I'm staying corrected. This is Law Enforcement Asia. We'll take a short break. We'll be right back. There's only one official Facebook page. What you do, you do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today radio show. Click like and follow. There you'll find updates about upcoming episodes of the radio show. You can contact me. We also find unique, one-of-a-kind editorials and news articles. That is our Facebook page, Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Be sure to click like and follow. We'll see you there. Are you wondering where you can find more great podcasts? Head to letradioshow.com, click Be Heard, and discover other fantastic podcasts like this one. Also available on our free app, all at letradioshow.com. Our guest is calling the Law Enforcement Today show all the way from across the Atlantic Ocean in United Kingdom, Neil Pollock. Neil, thanks so much for being a guest on the Law Enforcement Today show. No, thank you for having me. It is a pleasure. And we're going to talk a, a bit about, well, let's do this now and, and we'll get back to it again. You specialize in training and public order. Uh, United States people go, what is that? It, it, well, crowd control and riot control. Um, and if you haven't been watching the news, you've been living under a rock and, and see why everybody in the United States needs to be concerned because as we have upcoming elections and everything else and protest, these things are become far more prevalent. So I'm really glad you're here to talk about this. You specialize in training law enforcement officers in public order. Is it just in the United Kingdom or is it worldwide you do this? I've done it all over the world. I've, I've worked in, in Canada, worked in Libya about 10 years ago when they were trying to get everything back on track. Somaliland, which is northern part of Somalia, Canada, uh, and Turkey. So I, I've been really lucky. But, but also, my, my role uh, when I was a trainer towards the end was to host visitors from around the world. So I, I, I've, I've had senior officers from every continent, definitely, and, and it seemed like every country some days, who are all involved in public order type jobs and all their problems are exactly the same. We all face the same problems regardless of which country we come from. And and everyone is trying to do the same thing in that they're trying to facilitate the peaceful protest but at the same time 
trying to restrict the people who want to cause problems and take it. You know, in most protests, probably 90% of the people are there because they thoroughly believe in in that cause they're protesting about. Right. And, and actually, most of them don't want that small group people group of people there who are out to stop the other side. And we would use terms um, like anarchists, uh, hooligans, uh, people that, thugs, that just want to come in and they almost seem to be opportunistic in that they want to create violence and drama and trauma and thefts and things of that nature under the guise of, of a of peaceful political protest. Yes, exactly. And, and for many years in the UK, we almost fought fire with fire. It, it was a case of if they're going to bring anarchists out and they're going to wear black and they're going to deliberately try and attack us, we'll, we'll sort of we'll step up to the mark and we'll put out guys in the helmets with the shields and everything else. But over the, over the last probably 10 years, we've looked at work done by academics, we've looked at stuff being done around the rest in the other parts of the world, and we've looked at it and we've said, actually, there's more to this than meets the eye. And there's been some amazing work done around looking at crowds and how crowds work. And the fact that actually, for many years, we just looked at a crowd as a group of people. And they were all going to be the same. And what we found is that actually, if you talk to these people, you'll find that quite often you've got something in common with them and you can find out what they're protesting about. And a lot of them, once they understand the police, the way, the reason the police are there and what they're trying to do, they will work with you a lot more to the point where we have, we've, we've stolen an idea quite openly from the Swedish police called um, Dialogue Policing. And in London, we've got a group of officers who, who literally, from the moment someone comes in to request to have a, have a, pro, have a protest or demonstration, um, we don't, in the UK, you don't authorise the protest. People can protest regardless. But they tend to come to the police because they believe they have to get that permission. But the liaison officers will be there and they will explain to people what they have to do. But they, in explaining to people what they have to do, they also started getting the message across. And so we, we've had a, several years over here, we had a thing called the Million Mask March that was happened on November the 5th. And it was a great one for, for the anarchists to come out after dark, fireworks, masks, this sort of thing. And from the moment that that protest was advertised, the liaison officers would be there telling them what they could do, where they could go, what was expected of them. You know, come along, have your protest, but there are certain things that are just totally unacceptable and you can't do those things. Right. And, and, and no one, no one, at least here in the United States that I worked at, wanted to be arresting a lot of people. First of all, no. look at it this way. We want to go home to our families, have our weekends, do whatever it is we want to do. And when you're arresting 30, 40, 50 people, it's a lot of work. And the potential for violence and physical injury for yourself is great and the potential of yeah. violence and physical injury for them is great and either of those are bad situations you want to avoid at all costs that's pretty much the same with you guys right oh totally and i mean to, to the point where we've just had some uh, a big eco protest and i think we've ended the, the met police have ended up arresting something like over a period of about a week a thousand people 
But the interesting thing is that when the, 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 the news reports were being done, the protesters were all saying how well they'd been treated by the police. Even when you had photographs on the news of people being carried out of, out of a group who were trying to block a bridge, you know, an officer on each arm, an officer on each leg, but they were still saying, no, we were really well treated, they didn't use excessive force, now, we were doing our bit, we understood what they had to do, and it was that whole dialogue thing going on. And, and I think it's everyone within the police now gets that whole thing around. Let's talk to people first. Absolutely. Let's, yeah. Yeah, we've got the hat. We've still got to have the guys and girls with shields, with helmets. But we found that by upping the dialogue piece, it really explains to people what's going on, that we've had less problems. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. I, I remember being a, a rookie policeman, and one of the first lessons I was taught, and and it took me a while to learn this one, was that when it comes to, to use of force or displays of use of force, that once, for example, once you pull out the gun, you can't step backward and say, "Hold on, let's reholster this and let's talk." You start from yeah. talking first, and that's the best weapon you have is your brain, and and by talking with people, you can. And they love the term nowadays in the United States is uh, de-escalation. Well, we're de-escalating back before it's called that. Uh, people didn't want to go to use of force right away for obvious reasons, whether it be crowd control, uh, public order, or a one-on-one situation that was not something you want to do because you learn quickly. It's not like the movies. It's not like being John Wayne. You don't get in fistfights and walk away and say smart alky things and everything's fine. That's just not the reality of what life is like. No, definitely. It, I, they used to refer to it over here as just, just being a good copper, someone who can who can talk to people. And, and I think you're right. I think you see it all the time, don't you? The the officer you work with on a regular basis who can talk to people, he or she is the one who doesn't end up having fights and ends up bringing in the, the guy that everyone else has had to have a fight with every time they've been to his address or had a dealing with him. They've ended up having a fight, and this one bloke who actually can really talk to people ends up with him walking out the house, getting in the car, coming to the police station, and, and saying thank you afterwards. So, yeah, I think you're right. It, it's, it, and one of the things, one of the big things we found is our liaison officers are chosen specifically not because of their ability to hold a shield or to, to run or to have a fight. The ones we use as liaison officers are the people who are really good talkers, really empathetic people who can have a chat with somebody and explain what's going on and listen to what's being said to them as well. And on that note, we're going to talk more about this with our guest calling us from United Kingdom, Neil Pollock. This is the Law Enforcement Today Show. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. There was social media, and then there was social audio. Now the Breakout app combines the best of both. Best of all, the Breakout app is free with versions for iPhone and Android devices. You can download the app for free at the App Store and Google Play, or you can download for free at www.letbreak.com. Missed an episode of Law Enforcement Today? You don't have to anymore, because now you can listen to it on Podopolo, the free new app that makes listening anytime, anywhere so easy. Catch up on shows you've missed and chat with John J. Wiley right there, too. Download for free on the Apple or Google Play stores. That's Podopolo. 
And John J. Wiley wants to hear from you inside Podopolo. This portion of the Law Enforcement Today radio show is brought to you in part by Pet Rescue Life Facebook page. Everyone's welcome at the Pet Rescue Life Facebook page, where you'll find fun, informative, and enjoyable posts daily. Purebred, mixed breeds, rescues, we love them all. Be sure to like the Pet Rescue Life Facebook page. When you have a chance, be sure to go to our website, lawenforcementtoday.com, and download our free mobile app. We have a version for your Android and iPhone devices. It's 100% free. Get it at lawenforcementtoday.com. Back to the Law Enforcement Today show. I'm John J. Wiley, joined by Neil Pollock. Neil is uh, an instructor in we call crowd control over here, or riots, public order, through GTI, uh, Government Training Institute, to get more information about what they do online. Their website is gtitraining.org. He's also a retired constable. Uh, and I want to thank you for your service over there. And one of the things I've never quite understood and I guess I do get it from a perspective of people who, who view law enforcement or, or police or constables as a branch of the government, which we are, that if they have a beef with a government, for whatever reason, that they want to attack the police. And I, you just say, well, most of the police I know, most of the coppers I knew, they're blue collar people. They're really no different than the protesters, but we don't want to get smacked around and we don't want to get hit with bottles and bricks and Molotov cocktails. And why are people taking the battle to them first? Is it because they're accessible? I think so. I think you're dead right. And that's, as we were saying earlier on, we used to say to our, our officers, when you go out there, talk to these people because the chances are they came in on the same public transport and had to deal with the same problems that you did. Yeah, and, and the same worries, the same concerns, the same family issues, exactly. all that stuff. No one yeah. I know in policing in the United States is wealthy. I imagine the same for you, you all over there. Oh, totally, totally. You don't join the police. I don't think anywhere in the world to... Uh, to become a millionaire, do you? No, you don't. But it really bothers me, and I, I think it was Greece, or, or maybe somewhere over there where they had some horrific protests and horrific riots. And I've seen you know, police officers were there that that were hit with Molotov cocktails that were fully engulfed in flames. And and part of me gets sick to my stomach seeing this, and I'm I'm imagining what they went through. They didn't ask for that. They didn't sign up to say, "Hey, I want to get hurt." Or I want to hurt somebody. And it's hard to put myself in their shoes. Oh, totally. I, I totally agree. We, we have got a famous, famous piece of video footage from, from years ago where we had a thing called the poll tax riots in, in Trafalgar Square and a police car from a different force because London has three forces working in it mistakenly ended up driving into the protest and... One of the protesters put a scaffold pole through the window of the car, and you look at it and you think, "How was that officer never? How, how was he never killed?" And but then you think about it, and you think, "Did that pro? If you took that protester back and asked him if he would actually do that, I suspect he would say no. I suspect that person got caught up in the moment and did something really, really stupid." And people say um, that they will do things in crowds they would never do on their own. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And we've, we've had we it had a, where we work, you know, horse racing is big in the United States. I'm, I'm sure it's yeah. pretty there. But in Baltimore, we had yearly, we had part of the Triple Crown races, the, the Preakness Stakes. And I'd work 
as operations in the infield, or is it just basically a drunken brawl for everybody who was there, and you were there to keep order, keep people safe, and, and prevent them from hurting themselves, and you would have people in a crowd that were bankers or young accountants or nurses that had would never, ever do something violent, but they get under the influence of alcohol and around a lot of other people, and next you know, they're trying to hit you, and you're like, what happened? Where did... How did you go from being this young urban professional to wanting to fight the police? I've never quite understood that. No, I, I agree totally. It, it's, a, it's a real weird one. And then you get them in court. I, I don't know what I did, Your Honor. I, I have no idea. And that's not me. I would never do that. And you almost feel sorry for them, especially if they were yeah. on the losing end of the confrontation. You don't want to yeah. see them go to jail and, and be punished for the rest of their life, but you don't want them to send the message it's okay to assault police either. No, no, totally. We had a, a lad, we had a, we had a protest, and he ended up on the roof of a building, and he threw a fire extinguisher off the roof. And it missed, uh, it's actually missed a mate of mine by about six or eight inches. If it had hit him, it would have killed him outright. No, no two ways about it. A fire extinguisher from sort of 10 floors up onto your head is not it's going to ruin your day <laughs> that's um, what we would say that's funny you say that because that's one of the terms <laughs> we would use here too and that's across the ocean you were saying that yeah uh, but you looked at this lad and it turned out that he was in his last i think he was in his last year at university or something and he'd never been in trouble with the police and he ended up getting two years in prison and, and we were saying, I was chatting to some guys who we work with from the prison service, and they said it would be interesting to see where he is now, 10 years on, because he wouldn't have got his university education, and he was going into a prison system that he didn't understand. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't you know, he well equipped nothing. for. I mean, I, I would not yeah. be equipped for it. No, exactly. And, and you sometimes wonder, is, is that the right end to the problem almost you know is putting him in prison the right answer but at the same time you think well actually he was stupid and if if that fire extinguisher had been a couple of inches further across it would have killed a colleague so yes it probably is but it's 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 an interesting i think that's a much more philosophical argument than it is but what what makes people what, what is it about crowds or groups large groups of people that it almost makes people change who they are, and some of them will do the most outlandish things they would never dream of doing. It does to a certain extent, but they still keep their, a lot of them will still keep their values. And it's, it used to be said um, that they just became part of a crowd. But what we found is that by understanding that crowd and speaking to people beforehand, you almost keep them in their separate groups that there are people who are always going to be there to antagonize. Right. But the vast majority of people are there um, will only get involved if they see something they feel is wrong. Now, if, if they see something they perceive as being something the police is doing wrong, then they will do something about it. But if, if we explain to them why we're doing things, then it becomes... They then don't go down that path, if that makes sense. One of the things we used to, to try to do is we would try to identify who the ringleaders were. 
but through observation who was the troublemakers yeah. who's the one trying to cite violence and then try to find a way to separate them from the crowd let the rest of the crowd do their protesting peacefully and find a way to get them out without it being a big scene and i've seen this is since my time of retiring i've seen that they've gotten much better at almost like a passive overwhelming force where they just three or four or five people will just currently surround them and usher them out uh, there's no nightstick swinging. There's none of that stuff. And it seems to take the fight out of the crowd. Is that one of the, the tactics that you all use? Yeah, we have, we have done. We, we've, we've, we've used tactics where we've gone into the crowd to take out ringleaders. But we've also found sometimes that by doing that, that will inflame the crowd. But the other thing we've found quite a lot over the recent years is by building up that rapport with the crowd, We've actually had members of the crowd coming up to us and saying, excuse me, that man over there is causing, is going to cause a problem. And, and can you come in and take him out? And it's like, well, you know what? If we come into your crowd as police officers with, and people 10 rows back don't know what we're doing, that might cause us problems. So they've actually turned around and said, well, do you know, how about if we go and get him and bring him to you? <laughs> and we've had that. And it's, and it's great because it is, it is them policing themselves yeah, and, and, and understanding this, this, the bigger picture. And I'm a firm believer, if you give people the opportunity to do the right thing, most of them will choose to do the right thing. Uh, granted, a lot of things are beyond the control of people like me, and so it's a good thing we have people like you that have years of experience with this in training. We're going to talk more about the training, what you offer, why it's so important, and more importantly, why people in America need to be more aware. You think, oh, that's great, that's England, that's the United Kingdom. Well, we got a lot of action going on here in the United States, and we have a lot more coming up. This is Law Enforcement Today's show. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. We're all over social media. Be sure to like and follow our Facebook page, Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. We're on Twitter. Follow us at LET Radio Show Podcast. And on Instagram, look for LET Radio Show Podcast. Of course, don't forget our website. LETRadioshow.com. And if you're on the Clubhouse drop in audio chat app, be sure to look for me and follow me. My name's John, the letter J, Wiley, W I L E Y. You can also search for at LET Radio Show. That's John J Wiley, W I L E Y, at LET Radio Show on the Clubhouse drop in audio chat app. Returning conversation with Neil Pollock calling us from the United Kingdom. I finally got it right. You're the first guest we've had in the United Kingdom. We want to have more. So please encourage your colleagues that, that they want to come on, tell their story. We would love to make a law enforcement platform available to them as well. Uh, I remember being a, a sergeant, a young sergeant in Baltimore, and when the lieutenant was off, I was off that day, you'd have a sergeant who was acting as lieutenant. I was acting lieutenant. And it was the Martin Luther King Jr. birthday, and we had the NAACP headquarters in our district, and there was a protest planned by members of the KKK and also neo-Nazi skinheads yeah. uh, to shorten it. And and I was in charge, and I had about 10 police there, and they unfortunately filed a permit in an area where it was far away from where everybody could see, because the building was closed, everybody was off that day, and they wanted to be the major intersection. I was like, no, nah, that's not going to happen. Uh, but we had a conversation beforehand with the, the 
the gentleman, I'm using that term loosely, who was in charge of the protest and I explained to him very politely, very nicely, I was professional, and I said, listen, no one here on our side likes what you're doing. We, we respect your right to protest, we will allow it. But just know this, if there is one incident, the slightest attack on any of my officers, you will unleash a case of holy you know what, and it will be ugly for you. And you, we had not one problem. The conversation was had beforehand, and they did their thing, everybody went home, none of my officers were injured, none of them were injured, there was zero arrest, and everybody went around their way. And by the way, no one noticed, which was phenomenal. Which is great, isn't it? Yeah. That's the whole point. If you want to say something, you want to do something, you want to protest, that's great, but don't think you're going to harm me or my officers, and we're going to stand by idly and take it. Yeah, and I agree totally. It's um, We've had issues where... You know, the police become the focus, as we said earlier on. Yeah. And we're always trying to move away from that. Yeah, we don't want to be antagonistic. I get that. I guess what I'm getting at is one of the things I see on television here, and I see reports, and I, if I use the wrong language, I apologize ahead of time, but I'll see uh, football matches or soccer matches, and then there are people that have absolute riots after a game or during a game, which I never understood. But then again, that happens here in the United States after a Super Bowl or World Series where their team wins and then people got to destroy their town. I never quite understood that. You guys have been dealing with this for a very, very long time and you've gotten to be pretty good at it, I would say. Yeah, I think, I think we have. I think a lot of people in the UK look at London and look at the amount of mistakes we make. And we, we would hold our hands up to saying, in London, uh, the Met Police have made a lot of mistakes over the years. But the, the difference is, they deal with about 6,000 events a year. And so just the sheer volume of, of events will mean you're going to get it wrong sometimes. But the thing about it is, is that we learn from it. And the... The Met have got a, a brilliant system. Um, so we have um, officers of the rank of... And it, it used to be chief inspector, which I suppose is about a captain. Okay. Um, and, and they've just lowered it down to, to the top, like lieutenant rank. Can become what we would call public order commanders. And there's about 120 of them. And they deal with all the public order events in London. And they range from... Inspectors right the way through to um, people like Jane Connors, who's a commander, which is sort of like, is way up the command chain. She's way up there. But they are the most supportive group of people you'll ever find. Because they all realise that actually if they're policing a big event, if it goes wrong, everyone's going to look at them. And so we, we had, we had going back to the event where the lad threw the fire extinguisher off the roof, friend of mine, it was her first job as a public order commander. She'd just passed all her courses. It was her first job. She did all the, all the right stuff. It was a real, meant to be a real low-key job for her. And the, the basically, no one had picked up that they'd moved the Conservative Party headquarters. The only people who did know were the students who were having the protest. They got outside the building. They stormed the building. They caused all sorts of problems. And the following morning, the, the Prime Minister and all sorts of people were like, we want that person, we want them now, we want to know what went wrong. And she was what we would call a bronze commander. So she was the, what, um, looking at the ICS 
working, you would call a tactical commander on the ground. Right. Her boss, the silver commander, who would be your operational commander, turned around and went, no, 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 no. I was in charge. I signed her plan off. If you need to speak to anyone, speak to me. And and that's the way they work. They're very, very supportive. And that's they the way it's also, supposed to be with police command also, staff. It's the way it's always supposed to have been. Yeah. As a sergeant, my job is to take heat from the lieutenant who took it from the captain. You know, And I do my best to protect my men under me, men and women. But I expected a lot of them, too. So, you know, I'd handle as much as possible. So that's the way it should be. But it seems to yeah. be that that role has shifted, at least here in the United States, where politics comes from on high, down, and it's, look, let's make someone a sacrificial lamb. It's not going to be me. Yeah, and we're lucky. And in public order, we, it's been really lucky that those, that the ethos of the person who is the gold commander, the person who is in charge of the whole operation, um, They've always been very, very strong about turning around to government and saying, you know what, we police the protests, you do the politics. And actually, if it's gone wrong, it's gone wrong. Well, well, you know, we've, I mean, Bob Broadhurst and, and, um, and people like that, when they were our bosses, have ended up in front of the, the Home Affairs Select Committee justifying their actions. Uh, and that's a, another big thing over here that we've promoted is, is the keeping of records. Now, is that writing everything down? We have a great saying that says, if it's not written down, it didn't happen. We said the same um, thing. Yeah. It's the same exactly. language that police speak on both sides of the ocean, which in a way cracks me up. Uh, yeah. One of the things um, that, that I, people are listening right now going, this is great, but how does it concern us? If, it, the, if they don't see the connection, they're like, well, why do we need to be concerned? And, and one of the things that we say Antifa all the time, uh, we see other protest groups become violent. And then for life of me, I've never understood it, but political unrest that turns into violence and protests and fires and, and people getting hurt. Yeah. Uh, and we're going to have a lot more of that. We've been having quite a bit. And we're going to have a lot more of it with the elections. Do you have a warning for America about that? I think it's just about being prepared. It's, it's having those people in place who can have the knowledge and the skills to deal with that. And, and there's, there's guys, um, some of the guys, we, we, I did some work with some guys who are working on an NIJ committee, some of the guys from Portland and Virginia, NYPD, are doing brilliant work to try to come up with a, a curriculum to, get, to put training out across the country. And that's something we're, you know, we're trying to support with, with, with GTI and, and offering courses that can help enhance that. So the type of courses you offer, I know you have everything from SWAT to public order. And your, your domain, for lack of better words, is public order. And, and you do a lot of training. Where can people get more information about the training you offer? Uh, from the GTI website. And that's so gtitraining.com, I believe it is. GTI as in Government Training Institute, training.org is the website. I'm sorry, not .com, .org. And it's all around public order management, how we manage the public order. It's not a, it's a two-way thing. We're, we're managing managing it, working together with, with the protesters quite often to get a, an outcome that everyone sees as, as successful. Uh, that makes perfect sense. And we'll close on this. I, I mean, as a human being, I want to do what I want to do, 
if I if I've got a protest or cause I feel strongly about, I feel strongly about a lot of them. I want to go. I want to do my piece, say what I have to say, and then be able to go home to my family afterwards. And for our law enforcement people, it's the same thing. They want to go do their job, and they want to go home in the same physical condition to their family that they went to work starting as, and, and that's their whole goal. Uh, they don't want to ruin your day, but they're not going to let you hurt them. Exactly. Uh, and yes, you have to have that mailed fist ready to go, but it is that mailed fist in the velvet glove and having all the things in front of it, the, the properly trained commanders, people who can advise those commanders, and, and all the soft skills in front so that hopefully we never get to a stage where we have to use those shields, chemical munitions, or, or whatever. Neil Pollock, thanks so very much. Get more information about him, his training, and everything else online at gtitraining.org. Thanks so much for coming on the Law Enforcement Today show. Very much appreciated. Thanks, Jay. Thanks very much. I'd like to thank our guests so much for coming on the Law Enforcement Today radio show. The Law Enforcement Today radio show is a nationally syndicated radio show broadcast on numerous stations once a week and growing. If you enjoyed the podcast version of the show, please do me a big favor. Tell a friend. I'll be back in just a couple days with a brand new episode of the Law Enforcement Today radio show and podcast. Until then, this is John J. Wiley. See ya. See ya.